1: NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 8. In this week's episode, we finally got to hear from Jennifer Jeffley. We also heard her backstory from her mother. Uh, Give you a little bit more idea of who Jennifer was back then and, and the circumstances that led her all the way up to the night before the murder and even the morning of the murder. We will probably hit on some. I haven't really talked to Zach yet. He wasn't with us last week, so we haven't really talked a lot about the Eva episode. So I'll see if he has any questions about that. And then we've got a bunch of questions from you guys. We are recording remotely, as it turns out, Um, uh, when they say what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. That does not include the old Charlie One Niner, Uh, myself and my Please,
2: please don't call it the Charlie One Niner.
1: (laughs) I'm going with Charlie One Niner, and I'm going to go with hashtag. I think everybody needs to get trending. Hashtag Charlie One Niner, also known as COVID-19. Also known as the Rona, um, uh, my my wife and I came home with uh, with the Rona. Uh, she is uh, every, we're okay. She's uh, she's at worse than me. She's been really really tired, and and has had a headache. I didn't really have any symptoms until the last couple of days. I started getting I'm really tired, and have kind of and kind of brain foggy. Hopefully that doesn't mean you have a horrible episode on uh, this Sunday because I still have to write it and I'm having trouble focusing. Um, But we're both okay, but uh, definitely took that with. So no Zach, no Mike in the studio. They are with us, but they're with us via Zoom from their homes. Uh, With that being said, let's go ahead and get this show on the road. Sounds good to me, man. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get to your questions, I do want to make an announcement that uh, I have officially been invited to CrimeCon. And not only am I going this year, but I'm gonna have a special guest attending with me. Not Mike this year. Mike has Mike has given up his seat for the one and only Zach Weaver, who's gonna be going to Austin, Texas, with me uh, from June 4th through 6th for this year's CrimeCon 2021.
2: I feel like you made that too exciting. Like I'm not that big of a special guest. You're like, we have a special guest, <laughs> and then everybody's like. Oh, it's Zach.
1: That's Who is it? Special. Is it Janet Varney? Who is it? No, it's just Zach.
2: <laughs> just
3: Zach. And I'd, I'd also like to note that I didn't give up my seat. I found out I wasn't going when I looked at your Facebook and saw that you posted that <laughs> Zach was going to go with you.
1: <laughs> now, that's not, that's not fair. First of all, let's be clear. You don't like <laughs> crime kind of being around all those people. And you told me that you didn't want to go. Now granted did, <laughs> did did I very clearly tell you that you weren't going no I just went with the fact that you said you didn't want to and I asked Zach if he wanted to because he had expressed interest earlier All right fair enough th- man that is a tough way to find out I guess Yeah It's like finding out your girlfriend <laughs> broke up with you on on Facebook I have a friend that happened to once that's a long story. Should have been we should have discussed it in the Patreon uh, video section before this, but uh long story short, we were we were camping and he looked at me fa- I looked at Facebook. I'm like, hey man, I think Tara broke up with you. Uh anyway, uh, this is my son. What are you guys doing looking at Facebook while you're camping? We went to the bar, okay? We were at a bar. It's against the rules. Checking our correspondences. But uh, yeah so Zach and I are going CrimeCon is June 4th through 6th it's in Austin Texas and they did give me a promo code I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to going uh, you guys know that in the past I've I've had some issues with uh, with the expenses that are put on to the podcasters in order for us to attend but then really maybe it's the the fact that we've been kind of locked up for so long and stuff but I miss my friends I miss all of you and I decided I I want to go ahead and go and 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 hang out with all my other true crime podcasting buddies and, and see you guys. So I'm hoping a lot of you show up. Uh, we may be doing a true crime binge uh, panel there. They're working right now to see if they can fit in the schedule where for a couple hours each day, I'll have um, uh, like a live podcasting room where I'll be interviewing other true crime podcasters. So that should be fun, which is what we do on true crime binge, by the way, if you haven't listened yet. And they did give us a promo code. So if you want to go, and I hope a lot of you do, the promo code is Ruff, just my last name, and that's going to give you ten percent off your tickets. If you go onto the CrimeCon website to get tickets right now, you'll see that what you're doing is joining a wait list. That's because they don't know right now, just yet, exactly how many people will be allowed to be at the venue. So they're having people get on the wait list. They're not going to charge you until, unless you have a ticket. And I think they're, I think they're supposed to, you know, work that all out here very soon. But they're going to go first come first serve on the wait list, and you know so if you get on now, get on early. Then as as tickets become available, then you'll be one of the first ones to get them. Um, so you just go to CrimeCon's website, CrimeCon.com, and use promo code ROUGH, and they'll uh, and you get on the wait list now. They also have virtual passes if you can't go. I, I'm not sure what the price is on those. I know they're they're obviously heavily discounted, but with that promo code, you can get a virtual pass where you can you can participate from home. Uh, and I think you can pick the different sessions and classes and things that you want to watch. So that's a cool way to do it if you don't want to go to Austin or can't go to Austin. So use promo code RUF to uh, get CrimeCon tickets. Hopefully I'll see a whole bunch of you there. And uh, I think that's the end of housekeeping for now. So uh, before we get into all these questions about this week's episode, Zach, what would you think about the Eva episode?
2: See, you're, you're getting me because I was ready to go on this episode. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs>
1: well, let me ask you this. Let me, I'm just going to be very a very direct question that may back backfire on me. I guess with everything we've heard up to this point, wh- what are your thoughts? Do you, do you have a feeling one way or the other as far as uh, either Jennifer's involvement or Eva's involvement or even youngster and KD's involvement?
2: It, it's hard to say, but I definitely feel like th- this is going to be a little bland. I think, but. I definitely feel like that apartment has some sort of involvement. I don't know who it may be within that apartment, but I feel like somebody that was in that apartment or around that apartment knows more than they're letting on, whether it's Eva, whether it's Katie, whether it's Youngster, Mm -hmm. whether it's Jennifer. Right. I I feel like there's just
1: too much there to not have something going on. Well, I mean, I think the wallet in the apartment, which I'm going to... The plan for this week's episode is to go through the medical evidence, um, but I just don't want to leave everybody hanging, so I think in the first segment I'm going to break down the story of the wallet and how that came to be. But I think the wallet found in the apartment is obviously, unless that was like planted or something, which it gets pre- pretty far into conspiracy theories, I think the wallet found in the apartment is obvious, an obvious indicator someone from that apartment was involved. In my opinion, based on what I've seen from the, from the statements, I think at this point that Eva it, somehow is involved. I, I don't think Eva went downstairs and killed her neighbor. I'll say that. But I think that she was definitely involved. And then so I think it, it could be Eva and random stranger or strangers that we don't haven't don't know who they are yet. I think it could be Eva with KD and Youngster, although I, I, I don't feel like that's probably what happened at this point. But there's still a lot of work left to do. Or, or somehow Eva, Katie Youngster and Jennifer all could be involved. but you know so the, so the, these are options that are on the table. but for me personally, I just I can't see any way how Jennifer's involved. I know there are still plenty of people uh, within our, our our group that think that maybe she was still involved and that's great because that's what we, we need people to look looking at it from all different perspectives. I just don't see it. I, she's demonstrated no guilty knowledge of the crime whatsoever in her statements her statement fits with elements of the other statements that actually make sense the parts before they start all veering off and getting mixed up and there's the fact that the big one for me is just kind of a common sense thing. So if Jennifer was involved with Eva, first of all, I don't see why Eva I just can't see Eva immediately pointing the finger at her you know so if I'm looking at if the three of us were involved in a crime, And the police start questioning us, and none of us are suspects. They're just questioning us about what happened. And I say, Zach did it. Zach was involved and he told me to lie. Zach, then what I'm fully expecting to happen is, since we actually were involved, is as soon as the police start questioning you, for you to be like, No, she did it, or if they back back you into a corner where you end up confessing that you're also going to turn in the rest of them, especially being fifteen years old. I don't think I don't think Eva takes that risk. I don't think she takes the risk of implicating someone in the crime who she knows, knows that she was involved in the crime. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I don't know if she participated or not, but I definitely feel like she knows who participated in the murder, whether directly or indirectly.
1: You're talking about Eva or Jennifer? Eva, Eva, sorry, Eva. Yeah, that, that, that's where I'm leaning. And you know, my initial thoughts were it's probably Eva and Katie and Youngster, but man, the more I look at it, I just don't think so. I, I think kind of my working hypothesis, which again is just that—it's just a hypothesis—that doesn't don't take what I'm saying here as fact at all. But my working hypothesis is that somehow Eva gets mixed up in this thing, and she comes back in. I think when you know Katie, hears the door close, you know, hears screaming, hears the door closed, and there door opening or closing, whatever, and then then hears it opening again. That's when youngster gets up. I think Eva's coming back in, and I think she just gathers. These three teenagers, I think youngsters, eighteen. Katie is younger, and Jennifer's fifteen. That she grabs these three and says, "Look, you need you." Need, I think she told them all to tell the same lie that we were all together when we heard this screaming, and the, and there was this voice coming. We all need to say that, or our lives are in danger. And I think that's that's evident in the fact. And when I said I don't think the screaming happened at all, as far as like the fake voice coming, I think what's evidence fact is all of them. Except Eva, because her statements are, are verifiably false. Uh, but the other ones, th- their statements make sense. They fit together. There's a, there's a chronological narrative that goes together until you get to, we went downstairs and the screaming happened. And then they're all over the place. Jennifer can't get it right and eventually admits she wasn't there when that happened. But, but, but it's also interesting, going back to what we were saying earlier, she doesn't say that didn't happen. She says she wasn't there when that happened, which would which would seem that, that, that either she's very, very clever or Eva told her that happened and told her to say she was there. And so she thinks that it did happen, but she finally admits I wasn't there when it happened.
0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Katie and Youngster, both, I mean, their story, you know, remember everyone was so confused when we did the transparencies episode and we pieced this together. It was like, what the hell? None of this, like, they come out and they're all over the place. That you can't lay Katie Youngster and Eva's statements on top of each other and find an anchor in there where they make sense the only thing you can find is where they were sleeping and then with Katie and Youngster how they woke up so for that reason some others I I don't I, I think that it was I think that Eva got tangled up with someone else I can't tell you what the motive or how it went down but someone else went and did it Eva was involved or at least witnessed that and knows what happened and then came in in order to try to to try to protect herself, tells these three teenagers, tell them that you saw me yelling inside, and that way we're, you know, we're covered. I couldn't have committed the murder if I was outside when it happened, and we're all safe. And then she throws Jennifer under the bus.
2: Honestly, I really feel for Mrs. Jeffley. Like, after hearing her interview, that's the person that I'm, like, I'm the most touched by at the moment. I mean, you feel absolutely horrible for her. She lost both her sons. She lost her daughter all within a super pretty short period of time. Yeah. Now, I mean, I know her daughter, you know, she lost her sons to death and she lost her daughter to prison. But I mean, you're losing children and that's just horrific.
1: Yeah, I I was I had tears streaming down my face the whole time I was there interviewing her. And, I, you know, it's like I didn't interject a lot. Number one, I just wanted her to be able to get her feelings out. And number two is I couldn't like what do you even say to someone who's gone through that that tragedy and to be honest with you, J- Jennifer killed me I, it killed me too during the um my interview with her i don't know if you noticed but when when she starts talking about how she kind of felt alone and and in her mind nobody was grieving like her that she was the only one that was really grieving and and she broke down a bit like that got me too Pretty bad they, but all of them, regardless of Jennifer's involvement in this crime. Because let let's let's be clear on this. If Jennifer was involved, and in my opinion, I don't see that I don't think that she was, but let's say Jennifer was involved. Th- there's still something to be said about the fact that if she was involved, her involvement was a 15-year-old girl getting roped in to be a lookout by two two adults for a robbery when this happened. And then the end result is. Only the 15 year old girl ends up spending the rest of her life in prison for that you know they said the, the prosecution doesn't even allege that she killed Catalina they only allege that she was a, doing exactly what her confession says so so the, even that even if she had some involvement this is still heartbreaking especially when you hear the circumstances that would lead up to her maybe being in a vulnerable vulnerable position where she might have got roped into something like that by grown-ups
2: you know, uh, this is maybe a little off topic, but I wonder if she ever has a chance at a Miller case, because and and the reason that comes up is that we've had several around here actually recently, mm-hmm. which is where a juvenile cannot be charged with life in prison, and they can resentence them. So I wonder if that's anything they could possibly
1: look into. I th- I think so. I, I I need to do a little more research on that because so um, actually just yesterday, uh, Maryland just adopted a new law. So so the the the, the U.S. Supreme Court. With this ruling that says that there you can't that mandatory life sentences for juveniles should be reevaluated and and considered for a new new sentencing uh, and it said somebody from from your hometown mm-hmm. just right around the corner from us here was just released because of that but so it, it just in Maryland yesterday Robbie Shoudry just put a post up about that they just passed this bill which will mean that Anand Syed – Will will potentially he can petition now to have his sentence reevaluated. Texas, I don't think has adopted that yet, but I'm hoping I'm hoping that one way or another that comes in because there you know the, the case that I I mentioned that's local to us here, like that's a horrific case that this guy got out. and what did he end up serving twenty five years, if that I believe so yeah twenty twenty five yeah. years. And this is a guy. So you know, the the short story is he he's in high school. I think he was seventeen. Gets his girlfriend pregnant, and then in a very premeditated way, takes his girlfriend out to some country property, kills her, and he either buried the body or burned the body to cover it up. It, you know, very directly does that, and obviously gets a life sentence for that. And then due to this new sentencing reform, has a sentence reevaluated, ends up being released. Now to me, like that. A 17-year-old doing that, I don't know that I'm comfortable saying, well, yeah, but he was only 17, so let's not let him die in prison. Like, I i think that was too short of a sentence for him. As opposed to this, where you have a 15-year-old that is just basically present. I mean, essentially, her entire case is that she was present when someone else killed someone certainly if if it's if this becomes a Miller case that is that is presented, i, I think that any judge would look at that and be willing to adjust Jennifer Jeffley's sentence because even if she's guilty, a life sentence under those circumstances seems extremely harsh in my opinion. And that's coming from someone who is who is very victim centric where you know the case I just mentioned. You know, what bothers me about that is, you know, how is this justice for the victim? This wasn't an accident. This isn't something he got roped into. He planned it and killed her, and and then and then concealed the the crime scene in the body for a year or two before he was caught. That's very different than the circumstances that we have here.
2: Well, and the, the case I was actually thinking about is a case that the two boys that went to high school with your wife actually that mm-hmm. they beat one of their mother to death with a shovel. Uh, they both just got
1: resentenced under the same thing. Now I knew they were up for. Did they get resentenced? They both did. Yeah, and so yeah, so that's another. I was, and actually, the the one I was just referring to actually happened in Niles, not up in Bridgman. But yeah, that one again. It's it's they killed one of their mothers, beat her together with a shovel while trying to steal a car. And so the point being, without without wasting a whole bunch of time digging into these cases, is if these people are getting resentenced based solely on the fact that they were under eighteen when they were sentenced, surely someone in Jennifer's situation deserves to have her sentence relooked at, even if she was involved, which I don't think she was.
3: All right, let's get into these questions, guys. The first one comes from B. B writes, I'll admit it, I got sucked into the ex-wife's page today and was reading all about Jennifer's mental health and how she's a liar and how she was the lookout and Eva and both boys were involved. Not feeling too good about the case right now. Was there other blood on the scene or any DNA evidence that the police found that can be tested against the killer?
1: Yeah, so uh the answer to that question is yes. They do have there there is DNA and I believe there's even fingerprints. We're going to get into a forensics episode probably next week or the week after. Uh and none of it was Jennifer's. Have I mentioned yet on the uh, on a follow-up the ex-wife's page? No, this is the first I've heard of it. Okay, so let me let me first explain what she's talking about. So when I first got involved with the case and got involved with the family, they warned me, watch out for this, and I don't remember her name off the top of my head, but watch out for this person. She's got multiple Facebook accounts. Anytime there's any kind of movement in Jennifer's case, she'll she'll jump on and try to spam the page with you know trying to convince people Jennifer's guilty. So I just kind of had that in the back of my mind. A month or so goes by, and then uh, a few weeks ago, it happened not in our fan group page, but on the um, on the main Truth and Justice page. And someone started, under every single comment or post, started posting links to her Facebook page. And then the Facebook page is, like, it's it, it's crazy. It's like a model of schizophrenia when you read it. Uh, like, it just goes all over the place from one one position to another. And so I reached out to the family and asked, I'm like, who, okay, the person you warned me about is here. Who is this person? And and they called me to explain it to me. I think to be honest, to be honest, I think they were were a little embarrassed about the whole situation. why they didn't bring it up prior to this. But so what happened was is after Jennifer, I don't know how long she'd been in prison, 15 years, 20 years. This woman uh, starts writing to her and befriends her. And then they end up getting married in prison. So Jennifer married this woman and then it, it was very short lived. And and she was an advocate for Jennifer, and then some things happened. I don't want to get into all the the dirt, but some things happened that Jennifer was made aware of by other people that this woman was doing to other people and outside of prison. Jennifer decided that she didn't that this woman was not mentally stable and decided to divorce her. And so then she's working with her family trying to get this. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to do from prison. She she cuts her off, stops talking to her, and starts um, and starts the process of divorcing her. When that happens, the woman this was now the ex-wife then completely flips and starts instead of now advocating for Jennifer because she's innocent, starts now trying to convince people that she's guilty, and and she's created Facebook pages and she's put up uh, letters. Uh, one of the letters that uh, is posted on her website, like, and this is what I mean, like it doesn't make sense. It took like 20 reads of it to figure out what was even going on. But she posted a letter trying to indicate how Jennifer is a liar and is guilty by posting a letter that Jennifer had written to, I think it was, I, I don't know, it was either the local police or maybe even like the apartment manager where she lived or whatever informing them that there was a circumstance that was going on you can go try to find I'm not even going to you guys can try to go on and find it and and if you want all the details but essentially Jennifer's telling she's warning someone on the outside about something that this woman is doing and then the woman then posts that letter as some sort of evidence of of Jennifer being unstable or dishonest or guilty or whatever it was um, but th- but that's the long and short of it. Any, anything, anything on that page, I mean, re- some of the stuff is factual. And you can read it. But when it's when you read her opinions on what it means, there's just nothing there. But, but what you have to understand is she was writing to Jennifer, fell in love with Jennifer, married Jennifer, advocated for Jennifer. When Jennifer cut her off, then she completely flips the script and is now trying to punish Jennifer and keep Jennifer in prison. I've read through. There's nothing on that page. That in any way, shape, or form indicated to me that Jennifer even could be guilty. She's not posting evidence of of guilt or anything like that. She's just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. And it just the the, the long the the short answer to the question as far as you not feeling good about the case after reading that page is just keep in mind the source. The source is a bitter ex, and. A bitter ex-wife, and if she—if you see something there that is actual evidence, certainly take that into account. But if you're—if you're seeing something where the, where a bitter ex-wife is saying, "I think she's guilty," that's not evidence of anything.
3: All right, Pamela's got a few questions here. Whether or not we find out if Jennifer was or wasn't involved, will you continue to work with her defense and/or help coordinate listeners to advocate for her potential release or parole? considering her being a minor at the time of the crime
1: yeah like I, like I was just saying earlier I even if she was involved which I want to be very clear I do not believe she was but even if she was a life sentence under these circumstances is is unacceptable as far as I'm concerned
3: next she says do we know the current status of Jennifer's case where it's at in the appeals process is her defense working on a specific motion? Do you have a sense of when or if she'll be able to speak about the day of the crime?
1: Where her case is now is she has a new attorney, good guy. uh, He's, gosh, I'm going to mess this up. Sorry, Justin. New York or New Jersey? I want to say New York, but I feel like it might be New Jersey, who's taken her case pro bono, um, believes very much in her innocence, and uh, the status is he's still working on investigating right now. There have been no motions filed yet. Um, I think he's doing a really good job of doing his due diligence of gathering as much information and and investigating to determine what motion needs to be filed next. But we probably, I assume that the next motion would probably be for some sort of testing. I don't know that for sure. I don't I don't he hasn't shared that with me what he's going what he's gonna do next. Uh, I don't know that he's even decided yet what he's gonna do next, but um, my estimation would be that there would be a motion for some testing and then very likely a a motion, um, a writ of actual innocence based on what we get from the testing or what uh, his and my investigations reveal.
3: Last, Pamela says, I'm sorry if I'm getting ahead here. There was a crime scene photo on the Crime Watch Daily episode where it looked like Catalina may have been naked from the waist down. Are you able to confirm whether this is the case? Maybe she was just
1: wearing a nightgown, but is there any chance this crime was sexually motivated? So she's wearing th- those are some of the same photos I posted but I just redact that stuff cuz I just don't think it's appropriate to post. But yeah, so she Catalina is wearing I don't know if it, it it's it's a it looks to me like an oversized flannel shirt but it it could be maybe a nightgown but she's wearing like a flannel shirt and underwear is is all she's wearing as far as whether it's sexually motivated doesn't doesn't seem to be but again we're going to be going over the medical evidence in detail this week to find out for sure but as far as i know no there was no sexual motives. but as i i'm literally sitting here thinking out loud as i'm saying this and i wonder if it's worth i'm i'm going to go back and look at some of those crime scene photos and maybe look at evidence logs but i would be interested to know now because just because of the fact that it's a flannel shirt that looks big if it's a possibility, if it's a men's flannel shirt, I mean that could that could change everything. If if say there was if she had a male friend that was there, I feel like I'm being disrespectful by saying that. I don't I don't mean to be, but I, it's it, it's worth looking into to determine if maybe someone was there. Uh, you know, if she had a male friend that was staying there, and it was his shirt that she was wearing.
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the
3: fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: I know you already talked about Jennifer's lawyer, but Gemma has a question regarding Justin. Can you quickly clarify the situation with him? Is he or she listening to Truth and Justice? Does Bob have some kind of relationship, however small and tentative, with him?
1: Yeah, he's. so I haven't talked to him in two or three weeks. But yeah, so I don't think I said his name's Justin bonus is he's the attorney. I've had several conversations with him uh, it, and he told me when we did talk that he is listening. He, he is, is liking the show. He said he thinks we're doing a, a really good job. and And that was a few weeks ago before we really got into, in my opinion, the evidence that we've uncovered in the last two episodes, not this this week, but the two weeks before that. Uh, When we went over Jennifer's statement and Eva's statements where we really, I think, hit the nail on the head as far as, um, one, the potential for Jennifer being innocent and, two, the potential for Eva being involved. And also, I I think I need to circle back because I think part of Pamela's question was, do we know or have an idea when Jennifer might be able to talk? I don't know. The last he told me was he didn't want to clear her to do any kind of media interviews until he has the entire case file because he wants to make sure he has a he has a full understanding of the case before he he turns her loose to do any kind of interviews. I had put my production sent to me before him, so I had been shift sending over my files directly to him. So he has what I have now. Uh, on that regard, other than what I just received in the mail yesterday is the remaining crime scene photos that weren't included in the DA's file. I need to go through those, and it's going to take a little while for me to get them to you, because they actually sent me a stack of 87 printed four by six photos, which was strange. I've never had a, I've never had an open records request delivered that way. Usually it's digital file, but I have, I have printed photos. So I need to go through the ones that we don't have, get them scanned in and then get them posted to the website. And then also need to get them over to Justin. So um, all that'll be coming. uh, And hopefully, hopefully very soon, I'm hoping we'll be able to talk to Jennifer about the case.
3: Rachel says, I'd like to know how many siblings Jennifer has and their ages and birth order. When did her mom become a single mom?
1: I'm not sure when she became a single mom. Sounds like for a lot a lot of or most of their childhood. As far as the order of, of siblings, so that she had four siblings. And gosh, I'm I hope I don't mess this up. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head which was which, but the oldest boy, Thomas was, I think, 19 when he died. I don't remember if that was Thomas or Daniel. I apologize to the Jeffleys if they're listening for mixing that up, if I'm wrong. But I believe Thomas was 19, and then I think like a year younger than him was Karen, and then the next oldest was who was 17 was Daniel. And again, I may have Daniel and Thomas mixed up. He's the one who died from cancer, was the the middle son, and then there was Kim who was a year younger than him, and then Jennifer, who was a year and a half younger than Kim. So they were all, it it was it was something, when he died, I think it was, I think Jennifer was like 13 or 14, and then Kim, and then him, and then Karen, and then the oldest son, who I think was Thomas, is the one that was murdered.
3: Lynn says, since Jennifer cannot comment on her case right now, can you ask her sister or mother for the details of that morning, as they believe Jennifer has relayed to them,
1: yeah, I mean, I have asked them that, and, I, and I've, when I was interviewing them, and none of them, you know, the morning of the murder, Jackie, mom, left for work at like three thirty in the morning. Uh, Karen didn't live with them; she was, she was, she had moved out by that point, and um, Kim was at home, and Jennifer wasn't there. Remember, they had, they had run away together. But that, that night before, Kim had went home, but Jennifer didn't. So none of them have any idea what happened that morning. And they, they never had a chance to talk to her about it either. Because I asked, you know, did she, you know, did you talk to her? I asked Kim if she talked to her that night when she came back from the police station, if she said anything, and she, she hadn't. And then the next morning, Kim went to school, and Jennifer didn't the morning that she ended up getting picked up and taken in for questioning.
3: Kathy says, will you continue to try to find Eva? Can testing still be done on the unknown DNA found?
1: Hopefully, yes, as far as the DNA. And and yes, I'm going to continue to try to find Eva. I would would love to talk to her. I'd love to get her side of the story. Uh, So I'll be continuing to try to track her down.
3: Adrian says, this goes back to Eva, but it seems that she at least knows something about what happened and who did it. What do you think the chances are that she would be willing to talk and help Jennifer now if you could track her down? What would the consequences be for her now if, say, she had been associated with a murderer but never plotted to have Catalina killed? Could she be given immunity for her cooperation?
1: Uh, I mean, I can't speak for Eva. I don't know. My hunch is she's probably, based on other people trying to talk to her in the past, that she likely would not want to talk about the case. If she was, what would happen? I mean... It's a tough situation because if she were to, if she was involved, say she was involved in the way Jennifer says she was, where she was just there helping, you know, participate in some kind of robbery or something and then the murder happens, um, then she could be, she could face the same sentence Jennifer has. So obviously that would be a deterrent. If it's, which honestly is what I think is most likely at this point in my mind, that she wasn't involved necessarily that she you know someone she knows committed this and she's she she knows who did it but didn't want to point the finger at them then in that case you know, you'd be dealing with you know the issue of perjury which the the statute of limitations has run out on but still there's you know there could be civil consequences there's there's just it's a very complicated situation i think for eva uh and so going to the last part of your question i think that The only person that could offer that or present that would be a prosecutor as far as immunity. But, gosh, I sure would love to have a prosecutor do that if they tracked her down and offered her immunity to tell them what actually happened. I think that that would be the best, most likely way to get her to to talk about what actually happened. But no idea if anybody would be willing to do that or even if she would be willing to talk if they did.
3: Lisa says, did Jennifer ever confirm the fact that Eva did not know Katie or Youngster? I call bullshit that they did not know each other before. Why would they return to Eva's apartment and leave behind their visitor badges from when they were interviewed at the police department?
1: Yeah, I mean, Jennifer, Jennifer and Eva, and I think Katie and Youngster all said they didn't know that they didn't know her. I tend to be, tend to believe him as far as the visitor badges. I'm, I'm still confused about that, to be honest with you. I, I don't, you know, that was just like an aside in Alan's report where he says, you know, she says they weren't there. I saw their Polaroid pictures that we took at the police station on the counter. I, I don't feel like it's standard practice for police to take a photo of someone they're interviewing them and then give it to them. I think somebody is probably in your next question, which we could probably skip because of this. Um, but I, I don't see the police saying, well, here's a souvenir for your giving a statement. Here's your picture. So, maybe that was like police going up. And I, I don't know what the deal is with the photos. But as far as them going back, it sounds like the, the I, I think that's the only place they knew where to find Jennifer if they were looking for Jennifer. You know, she, you know, she, I think she was staying there, obviously, but I think that she was kind of presenting it as like, this is where I live, this is my house. You can imagine a 15 year old that, you know, is trying to be grown, saying, you know, I, I live with my friend Eva here, even though she had just stayed there for a night. But th- but that was their plan. And I think in Eva's statement, she said that Katie and Youngster came back by looking for Jennifer. And I think she even said Jennifer was there that night. We know from her mom that that night, so so the first day she goes and gives her first statement, they bring her back that evening, or she goes home that evening, and then she leaves again. Remember in, the, in Detective Allen's report, he says that he then went and knocked on the door at Jennifer's apartment after she gave her statement, and Jennifer wasn't there. Uh, and he talked to the talked to uh, Jackie, and then he went out and he eventually then finds her, and that's when he's having her try to point out Katie and Youngster who were like in the parking lot, but they slipped away again. So my, the way I I see it going down is when Jennifer gets back, she goes over to Eva's apartment, and Katie and Youngster were there also. There they went there trying to find Jennifer, and then they left from there. But I don't think any of that. I don't, I don't think any of that means that Katie and Youngster had to have some relationship with Eva or know who she is or know her in any capacity other than meeting her the night before.
3: Lynn says, can you explain why Jackie felt the apartment was a nice place yet Jen calls it the ghetto?
1: I think it's just perspective. You know what? Jackie is comparing it to the place. She, she touched on this in her interview, but they had moved into another apartment when they first moved to Houston. And I guess that was a bad neighborhood. You know, you're, you get the implication from her when she says, "This place seemed nice. There weren't people outside dealing drugs on the street, and they were you know you weren't seeing all this stuff going around based on you know their apartment and where they lived. They weren't seeing any of that going on. So from and that the original apartment they lived in ended up burning down, and so they had to move to this place. So from Jackie's perspective, she goes to work at three three in the morning. So she goes to bed early in the evenings, gets up, leaves." It seems like a quiet apartment complex. From Jennifer's perspective, she's going to the school. She's out on out on the streets, hanging out with people, meeting people like Eva and Red Rock and Katie and Youngster. So for her, like this area compared to where she grew up is the ghetto. And that part of Houston uh, really, I don't know if I would say ghetto, but it's definitely not a a great area. Uh, at least back then for the schools and things like that. So I think it's just perspective for from Jackie's perspective, the apartment complex was nice and quiet. But for Jennifer, who was going to the school and and hanging out with the people around there, it was uh, it, it was not quite as nice.
2: Well, I think you hit it on the head right there. I think just saying that, you know, they moved from a rural area to this this area in Houston, that's not the greatest. So how else are you going to describe it if you don't? necessarily know how to describe it you're immediately going to say oh it's it's ghetto you know you're not necessarily meaning it's a ghetto but that's that's just a term saying it's ghetto right people say it about cars people say that about doors you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like you have to do something to it so right
3: Kristen says this question actually pertains to last week's follow-up episode not sure if you can answer but here it goes do you have any evidence in the file that eva was a sex worker tommy was a john and was involved in the crime I'll admit I was taken aback by your statement about all of that.
1: Thanks. As far as evidence of Eva being a sex worker, yes. I mean, she has a criminal record that shows that she has been involved with that. Other supporting evidence is uh, the fact that prior to Jennifer being there, she's had many complaints about a bunch of traffic in and out of her apartment. uh, and And I think Red Rock going to her apartment to get some sex is another good indicator, um, and this is all aside from the fact that she has a criminal charge for it. But you know, he he does he's going to a, to an apartment for a girl he doesn't even know her name to get some sex at nine o'clock in the morning. I mean that, that that's a, a a really really good indicator that that she's still participating in the activities at that time that she had been earlier when she had been arrested for it.
2: I think that could be an indicator of the foot traffic too that they were had complaints about.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. With the traffic going in and out. Yeah. There's there's because I don't think just somebody just having people in and out is something to be complaining about. But when they just you know, when there's a steady stream of people and 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 even the mornings make sense. She's a she's a dancer. So she works in the evenings. So if she was if she was was doing sex work as a side job, the fact that it would be occurring during the day in the morning makes sense that that would be the time when she would be available. To do that, And again, you know, as far as like like Red Rock, who's like a known the people in the neighborhood all know him as a crackhead is the way it's put in some of the statements to say, I'm just I'm going to the the Mexican girl in apartment 58 to get some sex. That's not me going to, you know, this girl I've been talking to or, you know, he doesn't even know what her name is. As far as Tommy, it, Tommy being a John or being involved, that's just 100 percent just a speculative hypothesis. And if I didn't make that clear, I want to make sure I'm making that clear. I'm just trying to put pieces of a puzzle together the way he's described. She gets a a page from a guy she knows from work. She doesn't know his last name, and her only explanation for him texting her is that, oh, he just likes to bother me. Maybe, Maybe he's just a guy that likes to text her, I said, page her. Maybe he's just a guy that likes to page somebody to bother them. But it's not like text messaging or calling. I mean, how bothersome is it just to have a number come across? It, I, I think it's reasonable to hypothesize that he may be a John. I'm not saying that he is, but it's. A, I think it's reasonable to hypothesize that. And as far as him being involved, I don't know if, if this guy's involved. But what I what I'm looking at is where's the trigger? What changed? What you know? I, I don't believe Eva woke up at at nine o'clock in the morning and said, "You know what? Ah." Uh, it's morning. I'm gonna have a cup of coffee and go kill my neighbor, or even go rob my neighbor. At that time, I don't think you know, all the way back to the first episode. I think Catalina was a victim of opportunity. She had no victimology indicating that that anybody would target her for this. So I'm looking at it like something happened. Someone was added to this mix that wasn't already there that causes to happen. And when I and when I see that the person who the wallet is found in her apartment. And I see that somebody's reaching out to her just, you know, an hour before it happens. I think that that person, I think I'd put it a couple episodes ago that if I was a detective, I want to find Tommy. I need to talk to Tommy. This is a person that's reaching out to you and it happens right below you. I want to know who this person is.
2: I wonder if it's more uh, not necessarily Tommy, but the person involved could be more of her pimp or a male madam, whatever you prefer. Uh-huh. But because I feel like the person has control over her more than a John would. If it was just a John, you know, obviously maybe she's embarrassed by the sex work, but I still feel like you would eventually turn them in for murder over being a John. You know what I mean? Or if it's a pimp, something like that, they have more control over her. So it would be a better reason to hide them.
1: You know, a lot of people suggested that, and I'm I, I'm not ruling it out that, that, that there was like some kind of controlling relationship there. But I, you know, I I don't know that I've I've been doing, which is a weird thing to research, um, my browser history, um, at this point. But you know, there are a lot of independent sex workers, especially in that industry, that wouldn't even have. Uh, I guess I, I'm trying to find the most PC term. You could try boss, boss. There you go. Um, but how, whatever you want to call somebody like that, that that is controlling and and funneling people to her. If, if, and again, this is all just hypothesizing, but I guess what I'm saying is is there didn't necessarily have to be that boss figure in that re- relationship. It also doesn't seem likely that if that was the case, that she would have ignored the text. And it seems like she ignored the text because she didn't have a phone. You know, Maybe she left and went and used a phone somewhere, but we don't have evidence to support that. Nobody saw her anywhere, at least anybody that was talked to. So it, it, it seemed to me that whoever texted her, maybe, or paged her, the way it was working out in my mind is that they paged her trying to, you know, set something up to come visit her. When she didn't answer, they just went to the apartment, which seems like it's not that strange of a thing to happen, considering that's exactly what Red Rock was doing. He was just going to go pop into the apartment to, to see if he could, quote, get some sex. All right. That's all we got for questions. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Hopefully quarantine will be over by next week and we'll be able to be in the studio together thank you all for listening make sure you tune in this weekend we're gonna i'm gonna the plan is to cover the story about the wallet and get into the medical evidence uh, make sure you tune in for that also this week's episode of true crime binge features katherine townsend who is a very talented investigative journalist she's also a private investigator and true crime podcaster and she has a new podcast called Red Collar, where she investigates white-collar criminals who turn violent. We are we discuss a really interesting case of uh, an axe murder in in this week's episode. A white-collar axe murder, or red-collar crime, as she calls it. So make sure you check out that episode of True Crime Binge. Again, thank you all for listening. And hopefully uh, a bunch of you will jump on uh, CrimeCon's website and get some tickets so we can see you all there. Remember to use my promo code RUFF. Mike Zach thanks for zooming and we'll see you guys next week
3: bye guys bye guys
1: And a big thank you to our transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Wood Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com truthandjustice.